And for those of you still with me, if you'd open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. If you could open your Bibles to Matthew 7. I see a, a couple of new faces. Welcome to Summit Bible Church. Uh, my name is Morgan. I'm the teaching pastor here. It's a joy to have you at our church this Sunday morning. We've been looking, or we've been uh, going through the book of Matthew. I've been preaching a series through this gospel, and uh, we're now in chapter 7, looking at verses 7 to 12 this morning. So if you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We have Bibles placed under the seats in front of you. You can grab one of those and open it to Matthew 7. We're looking at verses 7 to 12. I'd like to read through them before we start, start to finish. Matthew 7, verse 7, reads, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who's in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law in the prophets. I had a friend in the neighborhood. He was three years older than me. He was in middle school, and I was in elementary school. And that's a pretty big age gap. He was, he was nice to me most of the time, but sometimes he was kind of a bully. He would call me names, make fun of me, so on and so forth. And I never understood why. I didn't understand why sometimes he was nice and other times he was mean. Until one day I came to his house and overheard his father yelling at him in the other room. And I would say he was going beyond yelling. He was cursing at him. He was belittling him. I would classify it as he was being verbally abusive to his son. And then I realized, oh, my friend came out of the room in tears, grabbed me by the shirt and said, let's go. And then I recognized, that's why. That's why. See, he was treating me the way that his father was treating him. He was expressing that towards me. Even as children, we recognize that pattern. And Christian, understand this, that that should be true of your life as well. You should be emulating your heavenly Father. See, the difference is, is that our heavenly Father is much better, far better, perfect than my friend's Father. So the traits and the character that we emulate towards one another is all-loving, kind, benevolent, gracious, generous, just. These are the things that we should be imitating in our life because our Father treats us that way. And so we treat others 
in the same way He treats us. This principle is throughout the Scriptures. Do you remember what God told Israel in Leviticus 19? You be holy. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am holy. In that same chapter, He says, hey, make sure that you treat sojourners and strangers with love. Love them as yourself. Why? Because you were sojourners in Egypt. And I loved you and called you out. See, the people of God emulate, imitate the character of God. We imitate our Father. And that really is the essence of what Jesus says in these verses that we see, Matthew 7, 7 through 12. You will have noticed that we came across the golden rule. You know the golden rule? It's verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. But what you may not recognize and what a lot of people miss is that that one verse is set within a context. See, the power and the example to apply the golden rule, verse 12, in your life is found in the way our Heavenly Father treats us, verses 7 to 11. You might remember my thesis from last week, verses 1 to 6, how you treat others in your courtroom of life is how God will treat you in His. So do not judge others lest you be judged by Him. Now rather in an opposite way, in this next section, Jesus says, look first at how your Heavenly Father treats you and therefore treat others in the same way. See, religious systems all around the world employ the teachings of Confucius. Confucius, who employed a very similar golden rule, essentially saying this, the way that you treat others in this life will determine your relationship with the gods in the next life. That's what most religions say. So the way that you treat others determines your relationship with God in the next life. See, Christianity flips the script. Watch this. The Christian's relationship with God in the next life, i.e. our salvation, determines the way we treat others in this life. It's the other way around. Our relationship with God determines our relationship with others, not vice versa. God's love for us should be emulated and lived out in the way that we are kind, generous, gracious, and loving towards others. Because the way, listen, you ultimately want to be treated is the way that God treated you and the way that He treats you. And so Christian, if you're here today having trouble loving others, if you're having trouble treating others the way that you would want to be treated, then maybe you've distanced yourself from remembering the essential truths, the promises of how God treats you, your relationship with Him. So we need to look back and remember how our Father treats us, His beloved children. But if you don't know Christ and you're here today, if you find yourself trying to treat people kindly but failing and finding yourself miserable because it's not reciprocated towards you and, well, people have mistreated you in this life and the world has burned you, I'm so glad you're here this morning because I can't wait to show you how good our Heavenly Father is. The relationship 
that He has with us, His children, if we would surrender and believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. See, applying this golden rule without the power or the example will only get you so far in this life. But when you know God, when you've received the fullest expression of His love through relationship with Jesus, then you undoubtedly have the power and ability to genuinely, sincerely treat others the way you yourself would want to be treated. Without Christ, hear me, you can't do that. You can't do that. So let's look at his word this morning. Verses 7 to 12, two points in your outline. We need to look first at how the father treats his children. That's uh, point number one in your outline. How the father treats his children. You'll notice here three commands followed by three promises that are applied and received in the context of a relationship. Three commands followed by three promises that are applied and received in the context of relationship. So letter A in your outline, let's look first at the commands. Commands. Ask, seek, knock. You see that in verse 7? Ask, seek, and knock. Notice how they kind of escalate in aggression. First you ask, which is kind of a, a simple request, right? William Hendrickson, the commentator, notes that seeking is not only asking, but acting. See, in order to seek, you need to move. You need to pursue. So ask, seek, and then finally, knock. Hendrickson writes, knocking is asking plus acting plus persisting. Keep knocking. Knock, 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 knock. Until what? The door is opened. In fact, you need to know that persistence is implied in all of these commands. They are in the present imperative. Tense. Which could be understood as this. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Continuously, repeatedly, relentlessly, over and over, again and again. That's the force behind what Jesus is saying here. He's not asking you to do something one time, one and done. He's saying keep doing this. Asking, seeking, knocking. Reminds me of my son, Reagan. Pulling on my shirt tail. Asking me the same question. And if I don't respond, he'll ask it again. He'll ask it again. He'll ask it again. One time I tested him. I wanted to see how many times he would ask the same question if I didn't respond. <laughs> we got past 10. I'm not kidding. And then finally I was like, okay, 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 I'll answer. Reminds me of the widow, too, in Jesus' parable. The persistent widow. She kept going back to this judge. She was requesting justice against her adversary. She kept coming back over and over And over again, finally, the judge says this. He relents. He says, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. So that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Here's Jesus' principle in this passage. The Lord said, 
Do you hear what that unrighteous judge says? Will not God, who is the righteous judge, give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? When his children come to him over and over, will he not answer their request? Listen, you will not find a do not disturb sign on God's door. Here is the invitation of the Father. Listen. Come bother me. Come bother me. You're not bugging me. You're not annoying me. My door is not closed. It's always open. I want to hear your heart. You have my ear. Come bother me with your requests. Persistence is implied in these commands. It also carries this idea of perseverance, of enduring through it. Ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. See, some of us, we give up too easily, don't we? We give up too easy. We give up too easy in our spiritual disciplines, in our Bible reading plans, in our prayer life. You know, January 1st, the New Year's resolutions, we're all fired up to start new disciplines, to start a new Bible reading plan, a new prayer journal, whatever it may be, but then January 5th comes. Then Tuesday comes. And the zeal quickly goes. Just like a good coach. This is what Jesus does right here. Just like a good coach who fires up the team through a painful drill, Jesus fires us up to keep going back to God. Push through the pain. Keep asking till your throat is sore. Keep seeking until there are blisters on your feet. Keep knocking until your knuckles are bloody. Don't give up. Persist, persevere in asking, seeking, and knocking at God's door in prayer. Does your prayer life look like that? Do you come back to Him relentlessly, zealous, asking, pleading with Him? J.C. Ryle writes this, God could say to many of us, you don't really want what you're asking for. He said, there's a reason prayer is called crying, knocking, wrestling, laboring, and striving. He said, let us knock loudly at the door of grace, like mercy in pilgrim's progress, as if we must perish unless we're heard. He said, let us settle in our minds that cold prayers are a sacrifice without fire. Let us remember the story of Demosthenes, the great orator. When one came to him, dispassionately pleading his cause, Demosthenes paid no attention. But when the man exasperated cried out loud with zeal and earnestness that everything he said was true, Demosthenes said, ah, now I believe you. Do you pray that way, Christian? Or are you offering cold sacrifice to God? Are your prayers frequent or infrequent, persistent or indifferent, persevering or quitting? Could you say that you are asking and you keep asking, that you're seeking and you keep seeking, that you're knocking and you keep knocking? 
on the door of God's grace in prayer. That is, that's just the commands, okay? But the Lord Jesus doesn't command us to do something and not give us a reason why. Just like he has been throughout this whole sermon. He holds a carrot in front of us. Gives us good, proper motivation to apply these commands. And so B, we look at the promises. The promises. Now, you need to know the promises are so good that Jesus repeats them twice. Did you see that? Verse 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. That's the first round. Here comes the second round. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. These are guarantees, promises to have your prayers answered and your wishes and your desires fulfilled. Well, that's good stuff, isn't it? I mean, this is the passage that makes the name it and claim it preachers. This is like a filet in front of them. They're excited. They eat this up and say, okay, you ask then for the Tesla. And if you believe by faith, it'll be there tomorrow morning in the driveway. Is that what this means here? Is that what Jesus is saying? Certainly not. Certainly not. That would be a misapplication of this passage. Kent Hughes says that this is not a carte blanche. It's not, in other words, a blank check for you to name and claim all the material goods that your heart desires. You need to know that this passage, as we've been seeing, it's set within a context. It's set within a context. We can't just pull these verses out and say that this means whatever we want it to mean. But as we look at this passage in its context, we know and we remember Jesus has not been talking about material possessions. Not talking positively about them. He just said, what did he say? Don't store up treasure here on earth. Store up treasure above. Don't seek the new car, the new house, the new job opportunity. He says what? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these material needs will be added to you. He's talking about right relationship with God and right relationship with others. So what are we asking for? What are we seeking? What are we knocking for? What are we asking God? And what will He grant us if we ask for it? Well, you know that Jesus here has been setting a pretty high standard, hasn't He? He said that your righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. So if you're seeking righteousness, that's a pretty high bar. Oh, also he said, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, that, my friends, is not humanly achievable. Perfection? How many of you have it? Not one. We have all failed perfection. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we read through the Sermon on the Mount, we should say, who is sufficient for these things? How can I live this way? This kind of kingdom living is unachievable. How can I not be angry? How can I not lust? How can I not be resentful, covetous, prideful, hypocritical, and not be anxious? That's a tall order, Jesus. This is a 
This is a high bar of righteousness. I fall short in so many ways. How, how can I love my enemies? How can I be pure from the heart? With all the other problems in my life, how in the world am I going to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness? This is impossible. This kind of living is beyond human achievement. Yes, yes indeed it is. Which leads us to Jesus' instruction here. Think with me. We need grace to live this way, don't we? We need strength, spiritual, supernatural strength to live these things out, don't we? If we're seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, what do you think the content of our prayers will be? Here's your instruction. Jesus says, keep going to God, asking Him for help in this. Seeking Him first in all of this. Knocking on His door for the power and the strength to live the way of the kingdom. Here, is, here are some practical examples of what these prayers might be. Lord, help me to be patient with my boss. Help me not to retaliate when he mistreats me but to love Him and show Him the love of Christ. Lord, help me get rid of a hypercritical spirit in my parenting. Help me to show the mercy, the love, and the tenderness with my children to display and emulate the character of the Father. Lord, lead me away from temptation today to lust And make me pure from the heart. Lead me away from temptation to covet that I may serve you as master and not money. Set my mind on the treasure of heaven, not on the treasures of this earth. Remind me, Lord, to retreat to the secret places, to not do these good deeds in front of men for recognition, but to do them out of sincerity of heart for you and you alone. Lord, give me faith to believe you when life is hard when it's desperate, when I'm in dark days, so I would not be anxious, but I would trust a good, benevolent, heavenly Father. Pray according to the Sermon on the Mount. Ask Him to help you in these things. Those are the kind of prayer requests, really the prayer mail that God loves to see in His inbox and He will answer. Don't throw at Him the spam of this world. He's not going to feed your idols. He's not going to tempt you to sin. He wants to... Here's His will for you. God's will for you. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 Your sanctification. That is that you would become holy just as He is holy. And so pray that God would grant that and those are the prayers that He answers. He will grow you. And by the way, to have all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places. To have the strength and the power of Christ to live like Him in this life is way better than the Tesla. Way better. To have hope, the world has no hope. To have joy, sincere joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, your relationship with Him. To have the comfort, the security, eternal life. Oh, that'll take you through the darkest days and the darkest hours 
that this world can offer you. Better is one day in His presence than a thousand days in the spotlight of this world. To walk with Him through the valley of the shadow of death is better than to walk without Him through the best this world can offer you. To have His his ear, to have His resources, the resources of heaven, His wisdom, to walk out His will in His presence. Christian, Let me remind you, that's what you want. More than anything else, this world can offer. So keep asking for it, seeking Him for it, and knocking at His door. The Scriptures are filled with these promises. Do you believe them? Do you believe them? Listen to these passages. They'll be up on the screen. Matthew 21-22 Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He's not going to answer a prayer that doesn't glorify the Father. Glorify the Son. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He's not going to answer a prayer for you to be more disobedient or for you to walk wayward. John 16, 24. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. James 1, 5 through 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Do you remember Solomon, his request to the Father? He doesn't ask for more gold. He doesn't ask for more wives, even though he eventually gets those things. He asks for what? Wisdom. And God grants that request first and foremost and gives him all the other things. Make sure that you're asking in faith with no doubting. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. Do you believe this? Every good gift, every perfect gift is given from above. Coming down from the Father of lights. He says later in James 4.2, You don't have because you do not ask. Oh, and by the way, when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motives. Make sure the motive is right. Your heart is aligned with God. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him. 1 John 3.22 Because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. 1 John 5.14 And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. What about seeking and finding? 1 Chronicles 28.9 Who is the object that you seek? David reminds his son Solomon, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. 2 Chronicles 15.2, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Proverbs 8.17, I love those, God speaking, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Finally, Isaiah 55.6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Come bother me, 
Don't quit. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. For the kingdom. For righteousness. For your sanctification. For your spiritual blessing. And you'll get it. God's not going to leave you out dry, out to dry. And why wouldn't he give you these things? Why wouldn't he? That's what Jesus asks in the next rhetorical questions in verse 9 and 10. Look down with me in this section. Look at C, the relationship. He reminds you of your relationship with your father. So you have the commands, the promises, A, B, and now C, relationship. Two rhetorical questions here. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? And watch your son break his teeth, if that's the case. A good father wouldn't do that. What about verse 10? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Ah, tricked you. That'd be a horrible thing to do, wouldn't it? Here's Jesus' point. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Human beings, we just admitted that we all fall short. We're sinful. We have a sin nature. We're born into sin. But get this, we know how to treat our children with, with some decency. We have this kind of natural desire to protect, to provide for our kids. It's part of our nature. Of course, there are many people who abuse that and who deny that and who do great evil to their kids. Yes, I know that that's out there. But generally, evil beings like us, we treat our kids decently, right? So Jesus says, if you guys know how to do that, How much more will the perfect, loving, kind, generous, heavenly Father give good things to His kids? God's not going to play hide and seek with you and then never be found. He's not going to withhold nutrition from His kids. He's not going to leave you out naked, starving, thirsty. Has He done that to you before? At times you may have felt that way when life's really hard, but were you genuinely asking for, seeking Him, and knocking on His door through those tough times? If you're diligently doing that, you would have found He's there. He's with you. He's sufficient in your darkest hour. And He's with you in the most difficult times. He's right there. He won't leave you. He's not going to forsake you if you are His child. The reality is that you and I can't count the infinite number of ways that God has blessed us, that He has been there for us, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. I think we often look around to the things we have, the material goods, and go, oh man, I'm not as blessed as so-and-so. But you miss the treasure chest right in front of your eyes which is the hope, the faith, the joy, the comfort, the security, and eternal life that you have with your relationship with your Father in Christ. God is unmatched. Unmatched in His benevolence toward us. His generosity 
is indescribable. And we know the answer to these rhetorical questions. And we know, if we are truly His child, that our Father has given us great things, good things. We just need to be reminded of that. And you know what? That plays into how you treat other people. If you're distant from those realities, if you're distant from these truths and these promises, I can guarantee you're probably having a hard time loving others. Because your eyes are not on your Father. Your eyes are not on Christ. Your eyes are most likely on yourself. It's hard to love other people with ingrown eyeballs focused on you. So, point number two, how you treat others. This affects how you treat others. Of course, when we look over verses 7 through 11, this is how every human being wants to be treated. This is what every human being is starving for. You ask people, what do you want in life? They want to be happy. They want to have relationships that are steady, faithful, loyal. We find that in the Heavenly Father and the child relationship. So, with that in mind... So, which is the first word in verse 12, that's an important word, look down, so, or maybe in your version it says, therefore, that points us back to what has been previously said, okay? That's a connecting word, points us back, and you remember all of Jesus' instructions. If you don't, let me do a quick run through. Be merciful, be a peacemaker, this is... Just a swath, okay? I'm running fast. Be merciful. Be a peacemaker. Be salt and light in the world. Don't be angry, but reconcile with others. Don't lust or divorce, but remain faithful to your spouse. Don't break your word. Be faithful to it. Don't retaliate, but give to the one who begs and even love those who oppose you. Don't be hypocritical for the approval of others. Be sincere in your worship of God and your Father. Forgive others as you've been forgiven. Trust God, don't be anxious. More immediately, don't judge or condemn. So, here's the summary statement, the conclusion of it all, the golden rule. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. That's just a great summary sentence of all of Jesus' instructions. What you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Treat others in the way that you yourself want to be treated. Furthermore, I conclude that you want to treat others the way your Heavenly Father treats you. That's what makes this principle Christian and not like Confucius or any other religious leader. As I previously said, the golden rule was first credited to Confucius, who said it in the negative, by the way, which is interesting. He put it this way, do not do unto others what you would not want done to yourself. So MacArthur notes that most religious leaders have adopted a form of this in the negative. And you'll notice that in the negative, it sounds a lot more what? Self-preserving and not selfless. Jesus is the only one who flips it to the positive. See, the difference between Confucius and Jesus is that Confucius is focusing on self-preservation. Well, if you don't want them to do that to you, then don't do it to them, or else it'll come back and bite you. Karma, right? 
But Jesus' emphasis is not self-preservation. His emphasis is outward. It's empathy and selflessness. See, the best the world can do is live out the golden rule in a way that is self-preserving, that eventually ends in your good, that focuses your eyes inward. Not doing to others what you don't want done to you. That principle will take you so far in life, but it's not going to take you all the way. It's going to leave you, like I said, frustrated, mistreated. But followers of Christ can do far better because we have the power and the example of selfless love to look outward. God takes care of us, so we don't need to take care of us. We can lift our eyes outward and take care of others selflessly, just as Christ has loved us. We can put ourselves in the shoes of others, have sympathy and empathy for those who are hurting. Because when we view God rightly, ourselves rightly, then we're not going to hold ourselves over other people We're not going to be critical or judgmental. We're going to come alongside them in the way of love as a fellow man for their sake, to serve them and to appeal in love. Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. This is the sum of it. This is the sum of my law. It's the sum of God's law. Similar to what he says in Matthew 22, the greatest commandments. He said to him, you shall love first the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, very similar to this golden rule. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Paul in Romans says, for the commandments, he's pointing back to the law. He says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Oh, and by the way, all these commandments are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. I can just put a sentence on all that. Love others as yourself. Treat others the way that you would want to be treated. This concept is not just New Testament. I pointed back to Leviticus 19. Paul, or God gave Israel the instruction to love the sojourner, the stranger, and then reminds them why, because... I loved you when you were sojourners and strangers. So you ought to love others. This principle, here, here's just a good question to ask before you go into a difficult conversation. How would they want to receive this conversation? Put yourself in their shoes. Have empathy, a selfless outlook, whether it's with your spouse, your children. Co-workers, neighbors, how would they want to be treated in this scenario? And let me treat them that way. Let me treat them with kindness. In fact, even furthermore, let let me treat them the way that my Heavenly Father treats me. I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel. I've disobeyed God's law. I'm not perfect. Oh, and look at the generosity of God. Look at His love, His, His mercy, His grace. I ought to treat others the same way. When they wrong me, when I'm frustrated with them, even when they hurt me, I can treat them with love because God has treated me with love. Now, when we see the golden rule, 
And we see this phrase, this is the law and the prophets. We should recall something quickly. That is like a button that should cause us to go, ah, you know what it is? Do you remember when Jesus said this earlier in the Sermon on the Mount? Let's go back to Matthew 5. These two together, the law and the prophets. The golden rule is the summation of the law and the prophets. And what did Jesus already say about the law and the prophets? Matthew 5, look at verse 17. What is Jesus' relationship to the law and the prophets? says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. So let's do some logic together. If the summation of the law and the prophets is love your neighbor as yourself or Put another way, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And Jesus said that I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Who does the golden rule ultimately lead us to? The golden man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the epitome is the ultimate example walking before us of the golden rule. He did this perfectly. He treated others in the way that God treats us with unconditional love, with sacrificial service, always counting others as more significant than himself, never putting himself above people in a way that was lording over them, but came to serve, to seek, and to save those who are lost. Jesus Christ is the golden rule. And as we follow Jesus Christ, Christian, we emulate His character. The love of God for mankind. Our King, the very one who gives this sermon, points back to Himself with this rule. It says, follow me, essentially. Do as I do and as I say. Treat others as you yourself would want to be treated. And so you need to know that apart from saving relationship with Jesus Christ, this golden rule will fail you. Because you don't know love without Him. You don't know love without relationship with Christ. If you're having trouble loving others, if you're having trouble putting others before yourself, if you find yourself always looking at yourself and self-preserving and and doing things out of selfish motives. And and you just think, I can't put others before myself. I can't get over what they did to me. I can't love my enemy. You must ask yourself, do you know Christ, the golden king, the golden rule fulfiller? Go back to your relationship with God. Do you know God as Father? Do you know Christ the Son who gives relationship to God as Father? If you don't, there's your problem. Repent, believe, turn to Jesus Christ and trust yourself to Him and Him alone for salvation. 
believe in Him, have relationship with God through Him. Because only in Him can you have the power to live out the golden rule in your life. So trust in Christ today if you don't have relationship with Him. Don't try to fix yourself. Don't try to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and live out this rule and be a better person. No, surrender to the King. Believe in Jesus for salvation. Know Him and then treat others the way that He treats you. Again, Christianity does not say the way you treat others determines your relationship with God. Christianity says your relationship with God will determine the way you treat others. So look at this Heavenly Father. Are you missing this kind of relationship in your life? A relationship where you find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction, not in the people of the world who fail you, but in the sovereign God who's actually able to give you what He promises. Do you trust Him? Do you know Him? If that's you this morning, you don't know Him, I encourage you, exhort you again, to look to Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father, the golden King who fulfilled the golden rule. He came to this earth, lived the perfect, selfless, loving life that He calls us to live as we follow Him. And then the ultimate act of selflessness is that He gave Himself up on a cross to die. And didn't just experience the physical pain of that, but... He experienced the physical separation from God that we all deserve. The wrath of God being poured out on Him instead of us. He took our penalty. That is amazing love. That is the epitome of love. No one has loved you like Christ. And He didn't stay dead, but He rose again from the dead, declaring victory over sin and death and giving power to the Christian life and a secure hope in your future resurrection to see Him and to know Him and to be with Him. If you don't know this God, trust in Him today. Believe in Him and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth that He is Lord. Believe that He's risen from the dead. And you can know this kind of relationship. Christian, as you abide in Christ, as you walk in His footsteps, as His disciple, you truly follow Him. Remember His sacrificial love. Continually depend upon the grace of the benevolent Father, asking Him, seeking Him, and knocking for Him to grow you, to empower you to live out this kingdom life and to treat others the way you yourself want to be treated. If you're struggling to love, go back to your relationship with your Father so that you might walk in the ways of Christ and abide in Him. Let me pray. Benevolent Father, You are so kind to us. Great is Your faithfulness. Your steadfast love endures forever. The relationship we have with You, Father, is greater than any other relationship we can have in this world. The security that we have 
And our relationship with you, Father, is greater than any earthly security, any promise this world can give. The pleasure that we have knowing you, Father, is greater than all the pleasure that any mode of escape, any substance can provide us. Knowing you is life, and we have life in your Son's name, the name of Jesus Christ. Remind us of what we have so that we're not looking around at the petty things of the earth and complaining about what we don't have. Remind us of how kind and generous and gracious, loving, forgiving you've been towards us so that we can live that way toward other people. And even when it's hard, when the days are dark, when people are mean, when there's injustice in this world and there is injustice, the Christians would shine light and bright in the name of Christ, that we would be salt in the earth, different than the world, and show and display the character of God in how we treat other people. Lord, empower us to do that today. And I pray for those in this room who, before this sermon, didn't know Christ, they didn't have a relationship with the Heavenly Father, you, God. I pray that they would turn from their sin, turn from their way of life that leads to further emptiness, more of a void, I pray that they would believe in Jesus Christ and experience the, the joy of this relationship that we have with you. In Jesus' name, amen.